Hello and welcome back to the other 99% podcast where we take a step back from the 1% gains that society has become obsessed with and instead talk about the other 99%. Throughout this series we will discuss everything from nutrition to sleep, training methods, work-life balance, leadership and mental health. Nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> At long last. Yeah, I did cheat. I had it written down in front of me that time. Yeah, anyone who's a regular listener knows that you don't get it right first time. No, never. <laughs> um, how's your week been? Or your, yeah, your good. Days since we last recorded. Yeah, it's a bit strange on this, isn't it? Because we recorded a couple of days ago, but we're we're time managing and uh, we're getting ahead of the game. Um, so this is actually going to come out nearly two weeks after we're recording. Um, yeah. So actually, it's been quite a busy two days doing the research for this one. Yeah. We, um, Very interesting episode today. We're going to discuss Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. Um, I started following him about three or four years ago, I reckon. I don't know, how. when did you stumble across his work? I think I found him on social media um, probably a year or two ago. And I actually... Initially, I, I wasn't listening too much to his message, yeah. but I liked some of the quotes he had, but I just thought he was quite amusing because he's quite divisive, isn't he? He's quite inflammatory in some of his arguments. Um, so he does quite well on social media for that reason. Well, part, part of his growth was when um, the, the whole free speech, free speech thing around um, gender pronouns, that, that's kind of, that's when I started following him when he was getting a lot of um, publicity on the news and stuff. Which is when he started to started to grow. Um, yeah, he is very divisive, like you said. Yeah, um, but we're we're talking specifically today about his his twelve rules for life, aren't we? And if you haven't read the book, I would absolutely recommend it. Um, but I would set aside quite a bit of time to go through it properly because it's it's quite a, a hefty read, isn't it? Yeah, um, and it's been it's been a few years since I read it. He's, he's got another book now. Um, but I haven't read the second one. I think the, the from what people have said about the second one, I would just read the first one. Um, yeah, I think I think the second one's. I can't remember the difference between the two, but it's a similar sort of thing, isn't it? It's like another twelve rules for life or something. Yeah, I mean, I haven't read it either. I've, I've just focused on this one. Um, what I, I was surprised though, it, it's quite religious based. There's a lot of reference to the Bible and different stories from there and how they've impacted and influenced society isn't it i wasn't quite ready for that yeah particularly so he doesn't actually mention that until the end of the book does he where he talks about his um religious beliefs um but obviously like you said he makes reference to it throughout the book and then talks about um his his own beliefs at the end of it um but yeah i i, I thought the same thing like and part of that does make it a heavy read like putting some of that stuff into modern day language takes a bit of um processing yeah, and he's an incredibly, you know, whether you like him or not, you can't take away from the fact that he's incredibly smart and he writes yeah. in a way that takes, well, maybe if you're a bit smarter than I am, maybe not, but it, it took me some time to digest what he was saying to try and understand it. So it's worth the read, but give it the proper time that it deserves. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, that, that said, should we dive straight into straight into rule one of his, of his 12 rules? Yeah, and this was totally bizarre because the whole book starts with him talking about lobsters and the behavior and when i was reading it i just thought is this bloke off his rocker um because he's talking about lobsters and their territorial habits and how they establish hierarchy amongst their 
their species and how they've been doing this for 350 million years. Now that number is sort of beyond our, our scope of understanding, but for some context, dinosaurs were about 64, 65 million years ago. So that's how long lobsters have been doing this particular kind of ritual, I suppose. Um, and it was all about how they assert their dominance and what happens after a setback for lobsters. Do you remember reading this bit? I, don't, I can remember the lobster bit, but now go on. Yeah, so when lobsters compete with each other, they do this sort of dance and they they show their claws and they kind of demonstrate their physical stature. And they're quite good at realising if one's bigger than the other, they, they sort of back off. But ultimately, if they're they're quite well matched, they will they will fight each other, um, possibly to the death, to injury. Um, and the losing lobster, it sort of retreats and, and leaves the territory for the top lobster. And the chemical or the hormonal balances that, that take place in that lobster subsequently are quite similar to ours. Like it, basically the lobster gets depressed and it changes its posture and it removes itself from that um that territory uh and he calls them loser lobsters that basically becomes a loser and kind of adopts the a loser's mentality and a loser's behavior whereas the the winning lobster holds itself very tall holds itself very proud uh maintains its territory is more likely to reproduce and and he talks about this in in human context as well not that we nowadays fight each other yeah, yeah a lot of posturing in society don't you with who's got the biggest house, who drives the fastest car, who earns the most money. Um, all these types of things are, are still evident in, in our society, but it's about hierarchy and, and where we see ourselves within that. Now, we don't fight for a place higher up that hierarchy, but um, the idea of this chapter is that if you stand up straight with your shoulders back, which is the title of it, you can actually change people's immediate perception of you that um that first impression and actually you can change your own perception of yourself and the the hormonal and chemical processes that happen within you because you are standing more confidently you actually believe your own self-confidence and that can change the way you behave in social situations yeah i can 100 percent get get behind that like how how you look influences how you see yourself and how other people see you so i, I can definitely what i really liked about this rule was because bearing in mind like some of his book is very very complex this is super simple. Like if you're looking for 12 rules for life to go away and implement straight away, it can't get much easier than that. Just stand up straight with your shoulders back. Like we could all go and do that right now. Um, and you probably see some positive benefits from doing that straight away. So that, that's what I really liked about this rule. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and it is as simple as it sounds. So rule number two actually threw up some interesting statistics. It was treat yourself like someone you're responsible for helping. And um, I didn't actually write down the specific um, percentages, but basically people are more likely to um, maintain prescriptive medicines in terms of like taking them with their pets than they are for themselves. So they've yeah. been to see a doctor because something's wrong and they've been prescribed a medicine. And basically people don't take the medicine and they, you know, from a physio point of view, people do the exercises for like a day uh, or two days and then maybe they do it the day before they go back to see the physio but we we ultimately don't take good self-care of ourselves uh, we don't value our own wellness highly enough we actually value uh, that of our pets and our loved ones so the idea of this was that we need to take better care of ourselves and pay attention to that fact 
Yeah, I, I found this one amazing as well. And it's absolutely true, isn't it? Like you can think of think of the experience you've had in your own life. Um, like like the physio exercises you said. I know I've done exactly that about five or six times. Like you get an injury, it starts to get a little bit better and you just stop doing all your treatment for that. Um, I think like with prescription medicine, I think I'm actually better, but I, I can't remember the stat either, but it is fascinating, isn't it? Like if you get given medicine to give for you, to your child or your dog, you will 100% do that. Um, but yeah, when it comes to us, I guess we're just more forgetful or I don't know, what do you, what do you think that reason is? You know, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm qualified to do anything more than speculate on that. But his his thought process was that people won't change unless they want to change. So okay. obviously works as a, a behavioural psychologist and psychiatrist as well. Um, and he was talking about how he's had court ordered patients come to him. Now, they're not interested in actually improving, so they don't. But unless a person really wants to make that change within themselves, they're intrinsically motivated to do that. External stimuli are are not going to have that impact. Yeah. And then so, do, do you think there's a, do you think there's like a broader meaning behind that rule as well? Like be be kind to yourself. Do you think we're generally too hard on ourselves these days? Yeah. I mean, the the harshest critic that most people have is the one inside their own head. Right. And your own voice is the one that you hear the most. So, you know, be careful what you say to yourself. You know, there's a quotes I've picked off other people, but I think they stand true. And we can have some some quite de- self-deprivating sort of internal dialogue, which doesn't help us in the long term. Yeah, yeah, negative self-talk. Uh, I think that, that comes down into some of his other rules, doesn't it? Um, yeah, I think we, we've ticked that one off and we'll move move on to the next one. Yeah, because rule number three, I mean, they are... I, it's almost as if he did this deliberately. They, they all link into each other quite nicely. And he's got um, make friends with people who want the best for you. Yeah. And the thing that, that really stood out for me in this one, which, which surprised me, um, actually, was that um, if you take a bad egg, so he referenced, I think, ju- juvenile delinquents, um, you know, obviously in... On most of our day to days, that's not a common interaction um, or scenario. But if you put a, a bad egg or a bad person into a good group, it's more likely that the whole group will lower their standards as opposed to the one person raising theirs. So, yeah. particularly, this was found in the business sector where you might put an underperforming employee into a team of high achieving employees. And let's say their salaries are all matched because they're all on the same team doing the same job. If this person doesn't pull their weight and isn't working hard enough or as hard as everyone else, instead of everyone else sort of giving them a bit of a kick up the arse and getting them to get going, they will think, well, they're getting the same money as me. They're working fewer hours. Their performance is lower. Why should I keep bothering? And they actually take their own foot off the pedal. Uh, So the idea is that you need to surround yourself with people that want you to improve and help you sort of become a, a better version of yourself was my interpretation of it yeah and then the, the other the other meaning behind that is um and i think james smith talks about this doesn't he like if you're trying to lose weight and your partner's the one that's like oh go on have another biscuit or whatever they they don't want the best for you they're trying to make themselves feel better um so that that was the other thing i took from it or like say you get an amazing job promotion or really good news and you go and tell your friends and but th- their response to that should be like delight for you. Um, and, and if they're not, then they're probably not really your friends. So that was, that was the other thing that I took away from it. Yeah. And then again, it, it links in nicely. Rule number four was compare yourself to who you were yesterday, 
not who someone else is today. Yeah, that's Eckhart Tolle, isn't it? Comparison is a thief of joy. Yeah, and we are, as humans, so blooming good at that at the moment, aren't we? Um, and for me, I think social media drives a hell of a lot of that because we're just surrounded by comparison and you know we've spoken about it on episodes previously where you're just scrolling through and you're only seeing people in the top five percent of wealth or the top five percent of body shapes and you're comparing yourself to those people who are from different backgrounds do different things are different people and actually you might be on a weight loss journey you've lost three stone but you still weigh 100 100 whatever kilos but you're three stone lighter you know but you you feel bad about yourself because you don't look like them and you forget the progress that you've made yeah 100%. and like have you heard that fisherman parable um i won't be able to remember some there but like rich people envy the poor people because they've got such a simple life and the poor people envy the rich people because they've got all these possessions and like cool stuff um but the, the fisherman parable is about this this guy that's um his job as a fisherman, he goes out, catches a couple of fish, goes back to his village, sells the fish, um, like goes to the bar in the evening, spends time with his friends, um, plays a guitar, that kind of stuff, like a really simple life. And this businessman comes to the island and he's like, I could grow your business massively. And they they talk through, he was like, why would I do that? Um, what would like the final outcome be? And he said, eventually you'd have a really big business sell it off then you could go and retire and he was like what would i do then and he would do exactly what he's doing now he'd go back to fishing in the day spending time with his family and friends going to the bar in the evening um so yeah that, that that's a fisherman parable i actually you're right i, I have heard that one and I, it's quite interesting isn't it because it, it comes down to values doesn't it and if those are the things that you value you don't need a big business to do those yeah so yeah absolutely um and to make that comparison when you don't understand the scenario that someone else is in and, and what they value or where they've come from or what they're trying to achieve it, it can actually be quite damaging and again self-deprecating yeah but i think i think like you said the goal is to be one percent better than you were yesterday it doesn't matter what, what anyone else is doing that was a big take home for me just one percent better each day yeah absolutely um chapter five I thought was interesting, but I found it a little bit irrelevant for the stage of life. Yeah. The, the <laughs> moment. I thought exactly the same thing. I don't know if I can really comment about children. Um, it's basically all about being a parent and the chapter's titled, Do Not Let Your Children Do Anything That Makes You Dislike Them. Yeah, and he, get, he goes on to talk about like your role as a parent. I feel I, it doesn't feel right talking about this, does it? Like, I've never been a parent to anyone. Um, no. <laughs> it was like, your, your goal is to make other kids want to play with your kids make them socially desirable yeah i one one statistic that came out of that that i was unaware of was that if your child is not well socialized by the age of four the chances of them becoming well socialized in adult life is much lower yeah so things like learning how to share and things like that were really really important and he spoke about discipline and you know we could talk about this to the cows come home and and probably only sort of uh, be appreciated by half people and annoy the other half because everyone's got their own methods and their own standpoint on that but he, he sort of did cover both sides of the coin and like good parenting and bad parenting and if you are a parent it's definitely worth reading or if you're about to be a parent it's probably worth reading uh, if you're not in either of those categories you can probably skip this one I would say. 
<laughs> yeah, that, that's pretty much what I did, just skim through it. Yeah. <laughs> um, chapter six was set your house in perfect order before you criticise the world. What did you get for that one? So, for, and this is something that we've discussed previously, and I spoke about Jimmy Carr's stuff on um, personal responsibility, but that that's kind of what I took from this. Um, like, you can be really resentful, like something's wrong with the world, or maybe there's something wrong with wrong with me, which is the personal responsibility bit, which is a much more productive mindset to have, because then you can learn and set it right. Um, so, if life isn't going the way, and it's, you can blame someone else. Or you can take that responsibility yourself. And that's that's what I took from getting your house in perfect order. Yeah. Um, I actually found it quite a deep chapter. There's a lot of reference to death and suicide and sort of wider atrocities that, that people have sort of committed over the years. It was quite a, a hard hitting chapter. But the underlying theme, because he even said that he's had violent thoughts and things in the past, but yeah. did, chose not to act on them. So it's that idea that we are autonomous and we can choose to be good and do good things. Um, and that, yeah, like you said, not letting bitterness and resentment hold you down. Like, are you working hard to be the best you can at your job and or other parts of your life? And what role are you taking in that to improve them? You know, is it your family relationships? Is it with your partner? Is it with your friends? You know, if you're not happy with how things are, don't just sit on it and resent it. Actually do something to try and improve that yeah 100 like have you done everything you could to set your life straight and he does talk about like some people are in horrendous circumstances like you spoke about it was quite a dark chapter but um it goes back to like that victim mindset like some terrible stuff does happen and he talks about all that stuff in that chapter but despite that like how can you set your life straight again yeah and one thing that sort of came to light from this is um well, for me was you know everyone's got problems and sometimes you say oh this has happened and someone will be like oh yeah first world problem well a first world problem is is still a problem you know it's all relative to where you are in life and i'm not trying to play down anything that some people are going through at all but also just because it doesn't seem like a huge deal to everyone else doesn't mean it's not a problem for you yeah. um don't uh i suppose don't ignore your own issues or hardships like do treat them with the respect they deserve and, and and get your house in order basically yeah but i think amongst those first is that the first six rules we've covered that's the first six yeah i, I think that's quite a common theme throughout those is just ownership yeah. uh, like your kids doing something that you're not happy with you need to own that and do something about it um you find yourself saying poor old me will stand up straight with your shoulders back and see what effect that has um surround yourself with the right people if, you, if you're in a negative group of friends or maybe you hate your work colleagues or whatever like you've got a choice you can own that and change it yeah absolutely and i don't think and i wouldn't want anyone else to think that we're saying that's easy like it's sometimes that can be really really difficult and some of these other ones we're going to come on to are genuinely quite hard things to do at times um but they're, de they're worthwhile and, and that's chapter seven pursue what's meaningful and that's about not taking the the easy route or the comfort route um and actually, this is one of my favourite topics is sort of um, reference to delay, delayed gratification. Yeah. Uh, the belief that something may be achieved in the future if something is sacrificed in the present. And he talks about brain development and how if we settle for where we are in the here and now, our brains actually stop 
growing and we stop creating more pathways in our brain because we're not challenging ourselves and we're not changing our environment yeah that is something i think that's something a lot of us do naturally isn't it like we always sacrifice the present for the future um and it's actually i i, I think i do agree with that but you again we talk about him all the time on this podcast is james smith he'll he'll say maybe that's not always the right decision it always makes me think of investing as well because like you could go and spend that five pounds today or you can go and put it in your index fund because it'll be worth 30 40 pounds in 10 years time or whatever that that, that is delayed gratification but maybe you won't enjoy that money as much when you're 60 70. I, I don't know i'm still on the side of i think it's better to sacrifice the present for the future and like we're sp speaking about delayed gratification but i find the opposite side of that argument quite interesting yeah i agree and I, I don't think you have to sacrifice your future self to enjoy the here and now yeah it it does talk about how that sacrifice can be quite a scary thing to do um particularly if it means changing career or moving moving away from home for the first time like all those things are quite scary so he does reference kind of the balance point and having one foot in your your safety zone your comfort zone and one foot in that that zone of development and um we call it the the zone of discomfort yeah. where where there is room for growth but you haven't sort of jumped into the sea without without a life raft yeah but i think and like for me these these next two three rules were like the real meat of the book and these are the big big take-homes um or the big take-homes for me personally but like like we said like don't take the easy path do things that matter it might be really easy to go and take like a comfortable job doing like some office work that you hate and maybe you've been doing that for like five or six years but do you really value that does that matter to you um and yeah that, that's a big take home like maybe and jimmy carr again going back to his book he spoke about this like being a um, stand-up comedian was so so hard for a few years but he just stuck at it and kept going and kept going and eventually it paid off um so it's definitely not easy it's not fast but that, that's what jordan peterson is saying here don't do what is expedient do what is meaningful yeah um and then there's chapter eight kind of comes back again to the interpersonal relationships. I think that was the thing about the book as well. The relationships that we have with others, how we manage those, what our role is within that in terms of development of self and, and that interpersonal side of things as well. But it's tell the truth or at least don't lie. And the example he gives is not really relevant to, well, pretty much anyone because he talks about his interaction with somebody in a psychiatric hospital, doesn't he? yeah yeah but i mean what what i understood from this is that if you lie to yourself then you corrupt your own perceptions and then you can't rely on yourself and if you can't rely on yourself then who can you rely on that yeah. that's that's what i understood by this so um and let's relate this back to like fitness if you say oh, i'm gonna wake up at six o'clock tomorrow and go to the gym then go and do that if if you say that to yourself and then don't do it then you'll start to not trust what you're going to do and from there like you're never going to change your habits or fulfill your potential um so that, that's what i understood from it yeah and also i, I sticking with the fitness thing because i think it works quite nicely is if if we're looking at people who are perhaps overweight and have been struggling with that for some time we sort of tell ourselves that we're the victim in that scenario we've created this lie to protect our own feelings where we sort of said, okay, I was injured, so it's not my fault, or I work really long hours, so I can't do any exercise, or I've got kids and I have to look after them, I can't look after myself. You know, we create these lies, and, and he uses the term willful blindness 
to harsher realities around us and that scenario specifically could be you know a friend a partner a loved one telling somebody that those are not true uh, and and showing them that reality that's speaking that truth but also having that self-awareness to say okay you know this is actually my fault and this is something that i need to to take autonomy over and and actually make that change yeah definitely um i really like number nine because i've been guilty of this in the past and i i make no no excuse for that now but when i read this one i know i still do this now and i yeah. need to not do it um but yeah th this is something that i'm definitely going to work on going forwards yeah so assume the person you are listening to might know something you don't yeah which yeah, is a really quote um sort of full of profanity that i won't say on here um <laughs> i'm quite keen to do those it's it's a really good chapter um and my takeaway was that we have this bias about certain people or people coming from certain environments where we already assume that we know more than they do and they can't possibly have anything to teach us and we go into this this conversation or this interaction with a really closed mind yeah yeah but I've, i think there's so many take-homes from this um like firstly humility was a was a big one for me like everyone can get better so assuming that they know more than you and you can learn something from them that that's a great place to start from instead of um like i know personally myself i can find myself waiting to say something because i know something about the topic instead of just like actively listening which is another great skill that i've tried to work on over the last couple of years um and then you find yourself not having those like conversations where you're both just waiting to say what's next in your head instead of really really listening to someone um i know i find myself doing that probably almost daily instead of just actually listening to the person that you're talking to trying to understand what they're saying and one one thing that we've done to try and work on that is by and this is really good if you ever get into an argument as well but if you can repeat back what the person has just said to you that's a really good test for if you've listened and understood what they're saying yeah you almost ask it as a question i think doing it in a non-patronizing tone is very important but if you said something to me i say it you've said x y and z have i understood that correctly yeah yeah so we're we're making sure that what they've said or what we've heard is what's actually been said and that was something that came from this chapter as well that the more you listen and the more um attention we give to listening the more people are going to trust you and want to open up to you and then you can have deeper and more meaningful conversation because if both parties assume they know what's right it's not a conversation it's just two monologues happening simultaneously yeah yeah but it, it is a really really hard skill to learn um it sounds super simple but yeah i, th I think that's a good place to start just listen try and understand and then like, it doesn't matter if you have to pause and take a moment to respond i think what that's maybe one of the reasons that i struggled with it is because I feel like people want an instant response to me if I'm in like a sports science and medicine team meeting and they have this question about an injured athlete or something and you want to, I, I guess it's almost like me wanting to give them confidence that we've got a really good plan and we know what we're doing instead of just trying to understand what they're asking first. Yeah, I mean, it's it still happens to me in teaching where sometimes I'll be asked a question about something to do with a topic or in relation to a topic and I just won't know the answer. Yeah. And I think our immediate response as people is is to try and give something 
to to prove our our status or our intelligence or yeah like you said just to give confidence to that person that you know there's a, a hierarchy involved quite often um so i've had to learn to yourself great question i've actually got no idea but what i will do is is go and look that up yeah yeah but um and like, like you said i think that comes back to that humility point like being comfortable saying you you don't know or you'd have to go and look into that um but yeah for, for me those the rules seven eight and nine that's the real core of that book for me like if if i think if you can go away and apply that to your life um you'll you'll be on that journey to being the best version of yourself yeah which is why you started listening to this podcast in the first place to improve isn't it yeah yeah it also reminds me of that quote which is um i feel like i'm going to bitch this now but I, I think it is the day you stop learning is the day you stop living is that correct along those lines yeah along, along those lines but um yeah like to me that's like do you want to be the person that knows everything or do you want to be the person that's learning each day and continually getting better because we all know that there's no final destination there's no perfection you're never going to know everything um but the, the goal is continual improvement going back to what we said earlier in that other rule your goal is to get better than yesterday and if you go because you can absolutely learn something from everyone you talk to so if you're going with that mindset and you continue to get better each day, um, then then you'll be continually learning and growing. Yeah, and actually there's a, a good quote that I stole straight from chapter eight is, and this references the, the humility that you spoke about, was status you can lose and character is what you carry with you wherever you go. Yeah. Um, who you are, how you conduct yourself, how you try to live your life will follow you everywhere. Status can be taken away from you. Um, you can go somewhere else where it doesn't matter. Um, the relevance of that in the real world is so much less than than your personal characteristics. Yeah, it's a good quote, that one. Mm. Uh, number 10? Yeah, num num number 10 is be precise in your speech, isn't it? Yeah. I'm not sure what I took away from this one. I did make some notes. Um, I don't. I might have been a bit too abstract with my interpretation of this, but I'll let you give your thoughts on it first. Well, I, I sort of lifted what I thought he was trying to to get a sort of get across in this chapter. Um, that sort of, in order to fully understand what it is we mean when we're speaking, we have to say exactly what we're thinking we have to be honest in in that speech in that communication so that can be like with regard to your own failings as well is be honest about those to yourself so this can be that internal dialogue as well and if you if you speak them whether to somebody else or to yourself then you you give them reality you bring them into the fore and then you have the chance to correct them but if you're indirect and you sort of move around different points you never address the problem head on and therefore you can never have open honest conversation with other people or with yourself to make sort of create growth yeah yes yeah, so I, I think i interpreted it really similarly to to what you did like the the literal sense of um and he talks about the the bible quotes doesn't he uh knocking the door will open asking you will receive so in that sense just being really clear and communicating what you want to others but I, I I did the same as you and thought about it as your internal monologue. And when we go back to um, like we we have this like vision of ourselves in our head and really being clear on like defining who you want to be. And then 
you can um, manifest that in terms of like your thoughts become your actions and your actions become your habits. That that was the other way. I don't think, and I probably say myself, I'm not really clear on who I want to be. I've done some sort of vision planning exercises, but I wouldn't be able to be really clear and communicate that to others very well, I don't think. But that's part of it, isn't it? It's understanding that where we are now is not where we want to end up and that, that growth. Yeah. Would you be able to do that, do you think? And, you know, it's, it's okay for us to, to actually... <sighs> Maybe. Um, but again, it's, it's one of those things that I hope I could get close to it now, but I wouldn't want to comment exactly where I am in the future because he also references in the book that idea of not limiting what we can become. So sacrificing what we are, what we can be. And he, he said... Um, he spoke to someone when they were 15 and said, what do you want to do when you retire? And they said, I want to, I want to sit on a beach and drink margaritas or something like that. Yeah. And he said, oh, you know, the first three days is great. If you can avoid the hangover after a week, you feel terrible. And after three months, you're a borderline alcoholic. And what's that for a retirement plan? So you've, yeah. your plan in life is to limit yourself to borderline alcoholism. So, I have very much gone off on a tangent from within the book there, but yeah, I don't know that I'd be comfortable to say where I want to go because I don't know where that is though. Yeah, I think we, we should come back to that and discuss that in like future episodes. We can go away and do that. Yeah, I'll make a little mind map. That might help. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that again, like um, that was another brilliant rule for me. Um, it, it makes you, like if you don't know where you, like if you don't know where you want to go then you're probably going to miss um so for, for me that happened at home and really thinking about where do you want to be in 5 10 15 20 years time or what, what kind of person do you want to be yeah but then i think with that he he also referenced the understanding of where we've come from where we've developed to the point we're at now because that's important in understanding our trajectory because in order to aim where you want to go you need to know where you've been otherwise you might end up going backwards yeah um, so actually writing things down in that respect it can just be for you but just in little note form could probably be quite helpful yeah that, that that's what i was thinking like the like reflective practice stuff which i don't think we've touched on before or not not a lot anyway but yeah that could be useful for that yeah and then chapter 11 on the face of it was another one for the parents but i actually think there's a bit that that everybody can take away from this it was i think there's so much in this yeah do not bother children when they are skateboarding yeah so what was your what's your main takeaway or takeaways um so like obviously talking about it in the kids context was like let them take risks because if they don't do that and you wrap them in cotton wool they're never going to develop like the skills and competence that they would in the activities that they're doing like skateboarding in this example um but yeah like i think and I, I know myself we're programmed to be risk adverse but i can't remember the exact like biological reason but in the world we live in now there's very little um risk to taking risks and if you look at people that are super successful they always take risks and if you fail like what is that stat like most millionaires go bankrupt like twice um but what what's the worst that can happen like you're not you're not going to end up starving um so there's there's less risk to taking risks these days but we're still programmed to be risk adverse so taking those risks and i, I posted it about this on instagram the other day 
that was that was my big take home from this one. Like, put yourself out there, go and try stuff, do stuff. Yeah, it's um, is it Michael Jordan. Yeah, uh, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Yeah, and that can be dangerous, whether that's physically, whether it's emotionally. But again, you know, I know this is about Jordan Peterson, but James Smith, he says about approaching people of the opposite sex and we're now too scared to do that um we're too scared to go up and ask someone someone out and what's the worst that can happen yeah they... that's, that's an amazing example like what is the worst that can happen they say no you feel a little bit embarrassed within half an hour everyone's forgotten about it but it's yeah. probably like a funny story for you and your mates um and yeah that that makes me think about what, like people worry about what others think about them which no one cares you you care and then no one else does yeah, it's that um, spotlight theory that we've spoken about in the gym, isn't it? And yeah. we think that people are looking at us and actually they're not. Yeah, yeah. That's one of my favourite bits of psychology research, that one. So I can't remember what episode we did. So you have to listen to them all to find that. Uh... <laughs> yeah, that, that is an amazing bit of research. But uh, it's a really liberating bit of research, that, because, yeah, like the, the summary is we feel like the spotlight is on us and people are watching us, but it's really not the case because everyone else is focused on themselves as well, um, yeah. which, like I said, very liberating because in reality, no one's really watching. But this one, just staying with the, uh, the chapter, is that children love to take risks, whether that's through naivety or just plain stupidity sometimes you know you'll say don't touch that it's hot and you see a little child just straight away they're like well i want to touch it then um yeah. or they'll a tree without thinking about it or they'll go skiing and they'll just go in a straight line down the quickest part but as we become older we lose that desire for exploration that that desire to take risks because we want to stay comfortable we know what we know um, and we're afraid of what we don't know yeah that was quite deep, yeah. actually. Yeah, but again, like for, for me, the the those second six or five rules that we covered, we've still got one to go. For me, they're a lot more um, like maybe less practical to go away and do right now, but much more meaningful or purposeful for me. Um, and that was yeah, like the real meat of the book for me. Yeah. Um, final rule, um, and this I think was a little bit of a rip off from the gentleman who spoke about stopping and smelling the roses but it's pet a cat when you encounter one on the street yeah and my takeaway was that he uses this sort of illustration or metaphor um to help us like pay attention to the small things in life and we've spoken about this before with regard to not necessarily mindfulness but completing tasks in a mindful fashion you know enjoying coffee with a friend, uh, sunrise, like the smell of cut grass, um, you know, all those types of things help us to kind of recenter and regain that that inner balance. Yeah, that, that's exactly where I was going to go with it is um, whatever you want to call it, like mindfulness to me is consciousness, but like being present, living in the moment, something that we're terrible at. Um, and I was going to actually post this again about social media today, but, and it's something we've spoken about on the podcast before, but yeah, mindfulness, headspace, meditation, there are some amazing benefits to that. And there's actually a lot of research behind it. I used to think it was all a bit like woo woo and not much like evidence based, but there's a ton of research and we get structural changes to our brain when you meditate for a prolonged period. Yeah. And I, 
we spoke about it a while back and I've actually stuck with the the Wim Hof breathing stuff. I've still oh, yeah. do that. Yeah, I aim to to complete at least four or five times a week. Um and it's now not something that I'm like, oh, I've got to go and do it. it I actually look forward to it. Um yeah. and even just like this morning, could have watched TV while I was having my morning coffee, just went and sat outside. Uh, yeah. just sat and had coffee and enjoyed it. Um and again, like you say, sometimes when people hear us talk like that, they think it is a bit sort of wishy-washy or or what have you. But it it is quite enlightening when you choose to engage with it. Yeah, and that that's what the whole, the whole Buddhist religion is kind of based on that, isn't it? Or they think it's the most likely to be real because it's about this man that um, achieved transcendence, which we think is just um, like a heightened state of consciousness. Um, and yeah, Sam Harris talks about that in his book, which is quite an interesting one, Finding Spirit- Spirituality Without Religion. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of where I get my understanding of mindfulness from, is just, is just consciousness. Because I actually, um, when I sort of took this on board and started doing it myself, um, I did speak to someone about it who was going, um, you know, I sort of recommended it and they said, well, it's not going to fix the things that are difficult, is it? like you you do this mindfulness you do your breathing and it you like you might feel a bit relaxed or or what have you this you know sort of quick conversation and but it doesn't change the thing that was stressing you whether that's work whether it's family bereavement injury all that sort of stuff it doesn't change it and I was like well no it doesn't but it changes your mindset when you approach that that issue or that topic yeah Uh, and that was how I now like to look at it that it, it changes the way i approach things as opposed to changing the end outcome yeah 100 they talk about it like strength training for your brain i can, can never remember our left and right hemisphere connected with the i think it's called capsico corsum mm-hmm. does that sound about right exactly. um, so that, that. That, that gets that gets thicker when you meditate so then your left and right hemispheres can communicate a lot better. So like you said, like your mindset going into stuff, you can probably think clearer. Um, yeah, and there's, there's a ton of benefits to to doing that. Yeah, I think we're, we we sort of agreed that we're, we're team mindfulness now and I wouldn't want to kind of push a method onto anyone. I think you need to find something that, that kind of works for you. Yeah. Because so it, it is individual. Yeah, what I try, I haven't got on that well with the Headspace app. But I tried the Calm app last night, um, and I think that suited me better. I'm mainly using that to try and improve my sleep quality. Um, but I found that I slept well last night, and I'm going to try and stick with that for, um, yeah, well, as long as I can, see how it goes this time. I did about three days on Headspace last time I tried it. <laughs> well, that's what you said, isn't it? If if you keep falling off the wagon, it's not the right wagon. So, so changing it and throwing it up, ripping it out, and having to go at something else, that's absolutely fine. Yeah, just another app subscription. That'll get me right back on track. <laughs> Make sure you cancel the one before. Yeah, so that, there we have it. Uh, Jordan Peterson's 12 rules wrapped up. Um, just before we started recording this one, we were talking about we might try and do an episode like this once per month or so. So if you've got any suggestions on authors you'd like us to cover, um, feel free to drop us a message on Instagram or we're on TikTok now as well. Uh, so you could get in contact with us on there. What was our handle for that one? At the other 99%. At the other 99% as well. Yeah, so find find us on either there or Instagram. Um, yeah, drop us a comment on what you'd like us to cover in upcoming episodes. 
and we'll look at the suggestions we get and go away and pick a couple. Amazing. Thanks everyone for tuning in.